Thank you for listening to the Yoga Writer Podcast, where we explore the power of words and the wisdom of yoga to help you live with more magic, happiness, and presence. I'm your host, Melissa Carroll. Desire is an engine. It's a force, like magnetism or gravity, a play of pleasure upon the senses, a siren song that pulls you toward what you're seeking. Which means longing itself is just the cover-up for something deeper. So what lives beneath the engines of your desires? Is it ease, joy, security, inner peace, worthiness? Desire is merely a process to get us somewhere else or to get us something else or someone else. And yeah, when desire runs our lives, as it often does, we're constantly hustling, grinding, living for some imagined future, and of course, throwing away the magic of the present moment in the process. Desire has also very, very easily gotten intertwined with consumerism and the wellness industry. In a lot of ways, you know, the secret and the law of attraction perfectly fit into our capitalist society of more, more, more. Dream your wildest fantasies of the nice house and the perfect partner and write yourself a check for a million dollars. And if you believe it in your bones, then you'll have it. In this model of the universe, possession equals happiness. More is better. Which is funny, right? Because any student of yoga knows that having nicer, newer stuff is not the path to freedom. Getting what you want is actually never mentioned in the yoga classics. And that's a radical concept, actually, right? We don't often talk about not getting what you want in yoga, even in yoga teacher trainings. We just kind of don't discuss that notion. But truly, it's the opposite because that's closer to the nature of reality. Just being open and in the flow to things as they are and not being completely governed by how we want things to be. That's actually where our suffering rises from, isn't it? And yet, the truth is, according to the yogic tradition, there is co-creation with the great mystery, that we are working in concert with the energy and the material world around us, i.e. manifesting that we are manifesting essentially all the time, for better or worse, consciously or unconsciously. Yoga recognizes that our thoughts are energetic packets of data that interact with the physical world around us. And I've seen my own manifestations come to life in both perfect form 
and in wildly surprising ways. And I've also seen my manifestations totally fail. And so, I am not here to tell you today, my friends, that your desires are purely bad. Did you think that's where this was going? Not so. (laughs) Sure, I mean, our desires can pull us off course and distort our energy, and that happens a lot. That happens to me a lot. I get way too attached to what I am seeking or what I'm hoping an outcome will be. And again, that's in direct contrast to the wisdom of yoga. The Bhagavad Gita teaches that the way is by letting go of our attachment to results. In Taoism, the Tao Te Ching points to the same exact principle, the same exact point of illumination, letting go of your attachment to results. That's the path to true freedom. Not fantasizing that everything is going to work out perfectly for you and you're never going to have problems again. Because we also know that that's not how things go. That's not how it works. I wish, I wish it did. I wish everything worked out for you perfectly for the rest of your life. But alas, we are not confronted with that reality, are we? And that's why the tools of meditation, breath work, mindful movement, reading the yoga classics and diving into these studies, these deeper wisdom traditions, practicing grounding techniques and doing shadow work. These are all part of the path. This is how we can check back in with ourselves and recalibrate. There's a misquote from the Buddha that gets incorrectly shared all the time. You have likely heard this. Desire is the root of all suffering. According to Buddhist scholars, however, he didn't say it like that. The Buddha apparently actually said that the root of suffering is our attachment to our desires, our craving, our aversion, our ignorance. That's the real soup of our suffering. For most of us, unless you are a very high being who's practically enlightened, It's natural to be caught in the cycle of desire. For example, most of us want to be in good health and we want to protect the health of others. We want to love and be loved. We want to belong. Now, all of these are considered fine and dandy desires. They're our noble ones. But there are other deeper unconscious desires that are always percolating beneath the surface of our awareness. And this is where shadow work comes in. We've all got some other desires that have been so deeply buried within us, within our unconscious minds. Like maybe your desire to be liked, which really governs how you behave at work or in your interpersonal relationships that isn't really aligned with how you truly feel or or what you like to do. For example, maybe you are a people pleaser, like moi. 
And that's really rooted in an unconscious desire to be liked. So you're going to ignore your own needs or push them aside and you're going to say yes to too many things and you're going to have really porous boundaries and you're going to end up perhaps feeling resentful or exhausted or burnt out because you've got this deep unconscious desire to be liked and accepted and approved of, right? Maybe you have a deep unconscious desire to feel small and unseen. That's not something that like a lot of us are consciously in contact with. Maybe you sabotage your capacity to move forward in your career or with your creative pursuits. You maybe have a tendency or a pattern to sabotage your own growth. Like you take one step forward and then you fall back into an old habit, right? Because you want to stay small. That's like a deeper buried samskara, a deep buried groove in your unconscious awareness. And so unpacking these hidden desires and holding space for them is a key part of the shadow integration journey. And it's also the way to bust the myth of manifestation, that all you have to do is believe it and you will see it in your life. Because I don't know about you, but I have done all the manifestation meditations. I have read all the books. I have lit all the candles. I have prayed to all the gods. And sometimes my manifestations have not taken shape. And this is where shadow work and manifestation are actually two sides of the same hand. Because if you haven't taken the time and given yourself the space to unpack all that's in your heart and psyche, then how can you truly manifest with clarity and inner harmony? If you intend, if you set the intention that you want to manifest a loving, available partner, but deep down, unconsciously, you don't believe that you're worthy of that love or your unconscious story is that you will be disappointed eventually because that's what happens in relationships, then that's going to override your intentions. That deep unconscious belief will override your manifestation work. This is why shadow work needs to happen in tandem with your intention setting. I just also want to mention that if you want to dive in deeper to any of these releasing practices with me, I have an online workshop that is available right now. You can access it instantly and rewatch it anytime. It's called the three sacred keys your shadow, your ego, and your intuition. I led this workshop with the psychic medium, Amy Dascola, who is also so hilarious and wonderful and funny. And this is what some of our participants had to say after the workshop. This was gold for me tonight. I feel so much better, wow. I feel lighter, more peaceful. I needed this so badly. I've been carrying around so much tension in my body and couldn't figure out why. That release ritual you led was magic. That kind of feedback, honestly, is the best because 
I believe in the power of the techniques that we share in this workshop. We talk about shadow integration processes. We do some really potent journaling exercises and I lead you through a deep release ritual as well to clear out some of your stuck, stagnant residue, your unconscious blocks that are holding you back. And we do talk a lot about astrology in the workshop and we frame it for the solar eclipse, which happened last Thursday on June 10th, but we are still in eclipse season, my friends. And the last note in this long song of the Gemini Sagittarius eclipse orchestra is gonna be happening on December 4th. So really, you can watch this, ex this workshop anytime and it will still be super relevant for your life and the themes that we discuss in it. So if you wanna get it, go ahead and check out the link in the show notes. All the info is right there. Okay, when I teach shadow work, I refer to this process a lot of times as deconditioning yourself because shadow work is the process of lovingly peeling back your layers and looking at the qualities or the patterns or the traits within you that you've ignored, that you've repressed, that you've judged or neglected about yourself. This is what we refer to as your shadow, which of course is a term coined by Carl Jung. When we look into our shadows, we're not there to judge ourselves. <laughs> You've likely already been doing that, maybe your whole life. You're probably really, really good at judging yourself. So many of the brilliant students that I work with through yoga teacher trainings and my other online courses, they are so smart. They are so just wonderful and compassionate people. And they are really, really unkind to themselves. Their inner critics are vicious. So in shadow work, we start to flip that process where we're fractured, where we're split into all these puzzle pieces the pieces of yourself that are acceptable to the world and the pieces of yourself that you have labeled as terrible, that you have locked away. And shadow work is slowly, kindly unlocking the door, turning on a flashlight and seeing what's really in there. What stories and old patterns about not being good enough are hiding in the basement of your mind. And when you can look at some of these stories, they lose their power because then you can decide consciously. You're bringing your unconscious to your conscious attention. And I use the term deconditioning because so many of our shadow stories are conditioned beliefs that we learned when we were very young. You know, you were just a sponge taking in the world, taking in what information was available to you about how the world works. You're a sponge soaking it all up from your guardians, from your peers, from these structures that informed your world view. And the thing is, a lot of those narratives probably aren't serving you anymore, but they're still locked in the basement 
of your unconscious and you haven't looked at them in 20 years or maybe ever. A big part of your deconditioning is to recognize whether your desires are actually yours or whether they are cultural desires, cultural pressures that you've inherited and they don't even belong to you. And yet you have invested so much time, so much energy and so much emotional gravity into these desires. And I've got to tell you, when I did this process for myself and I'm still doing the process because it's a lifelong journey, just like the yogic journey. For most of us, we're, we're in it for the long haul. This isn't like try it for a weekend and you're done. <laughs> when I have started to engage with unpacking my own desire systems and recognizing that a desire that I held in my life about my relationship and that it was supposed to look a certain way and it wasn't looking that way. When I realized that actually my suffering was because I had soaked up, I had inherited the belief that relationships are supposed to only look one way and that meant happiness. And at least that's how it was portrayed to the outside world. When I realized that, it was like the whole thing cracked open and crumbled. And then my relationship blossomed because I stopped freaking out all the time in my heart that the relationship didn't look a certain way. And then I could just let the relationship be what it actually is. And I could step into a real space of gratitude and allow my relationship to be. Just like how advertising conditions us to believe we'll be better or stronger or sexier or slimmer when we buy XYZ. Our culture has programmed us to believe certain things about love, money, happiness, beauty, self-worth, marriage, all this stuff, right? So right now, think of something you're craving, something you desire in your life, anything at all, big or small, and ask yourself, is this really my true desire? Or is this a cultural desire? Deep, deep down, do you really, truly even want this thing? Or is the external packaging of the thing really just a cover-up for a deeper emotional quality that perhaps you can invite into your life right now? That is to say, you don't have to rearrange your external conditions. You don't have to have a certain job or have a New York Times best-selling book or have a certain relationship status to be happy, be fulfilled, be at ease in your heart. Whatever it is that you feel would bring you to a greater state of love and life-giving fullness greater satisfaction. Does it intrinsically involve this thing? And maybe it does, maybe it does, but maybe it doesn't. Maybe at first or for a while, your desire will probably feel like it's all yours. Like, yes, this is really what I want. I will be happy when I get fill in the blank. But if you 
get real honest with yourself. Maybe you have to get real quiet and really still and you sit with something. You may discover that many times it's not about that thing at all. It's not about that external condition. Maybe you have inherited this craving, this longing from the culture. Maybe you've inherited it from what your parents or your family members or your peers or the media told you. For example, a lot of people believe that they need to live in a certain kind of place or own certain things or drive a certain type of vehicle in order to be quote-unquote successful. And there is some equation in their unconscious that success equals happiness, right? And like, I'm sure you're listening to me saying that and you're already like, I know that's not the truth. I know these external versions or visions of success do not equate to happiness. And yet, so many people have an image burned into their unconscious. It's like a stamp imprinted on melted wax, you know? It's real deep. They have this image about what success looks like, and they're driven by desire to attain it, often at the expense of their happiness, right? It's so funny. We sacrifice the thing that we want in order to get what we perceive we want. It's totally backwards. It's totally nuts. And I, I also think humor is really essential in the process. You gotta, you gotta have a sense of humor for this kind of stuff, right? Otherwise, whew, it's rough. We know how this goes, right? Maybe this has happened to you. Maybe you've seen other people go through this. They have this idea of like, I gotta be successful. I've, I've, I've gotta attain this level of monetary material success and they lose their relationships. They work jobs they hate. They don't spend time with their families. They ignore their true callings. They don't pursue what they really love. They don't spend their life's time doing what they actually enjoy, what fulfills them, because they are caught in the grip of desire toward some image of being successful. And then of course, they wake up one morning and they finally get the job promotion. They become the CEO or whatever, or they're able to buy the thing that they want. They get the corner office. I don't know, whatever it is. They wake up and that jewel of joy that they thought they would get is not there. This is also why you often read statistics about how countries like the United States always have the highest levels of depression and anxiety, right? A lot of people don't question their desires. They've been taught for so long that what they want is what they are supposed to want. And so they just want it and they go automatically. We're driven by our unconscious. And there are times throughout the year in which we can harmonize ourselves with the energies around us to amplify this vital inner work. For example, you've likely heard that intention setting is really great to do on new moons and full moons are wonderful times for reflecting and releasing when something comes to fruition. 
the yogic tradition also has protocols and concepts surrounding the lunar cycles. And it's taught that sadhana or spiritual practices are amplified on full moons. A lot of devoted yoga practitioners will chant on full moons. It is said that the energy of those chants gets amplified because we are working in harmony with the greater cosmos around us. It, in these traditions, we view the holographic nature of the universe in which we as the individual human, the individual soul, is one thread in the greater tapestry of the entire cosmos. So the movement of the moon has a direct correlation. The shifting of the tides, all of it, is related to us and we to it. And this week is the week of a fascinating cosmological event. The astro weather is very interesting this week, my friends. It is the week of the solar eclipse on Thursday, June 10th, which is a new moon. Normally, this would be a time for setting intentions, for planting those seeds of desire. But it's a solar eclipse. And this is actually an auspicious time for shadow work. And I'm offering a solar eclipse event online via Zoom. I'm so excited about it. It's called the Three Sacred Keys. Your shadow, your ego, and your intuition. I'm leading it with the psychic medium, Amy Dascola, and she's so hilarious and such a great teacher. And the link to get all the details about our workshop and to sign up for Thursday is in the show notes. And we're going to explore how if you want to move forward and set intentions with clarity, if you want to manifest and honor your desire systems, again, not repressing your desires and looking at your desires as wrong or bad. Because guess what? When you do that, that just further locks pieces of yourself into your shadow, right? So you've got to peel back the layers and lovingly explore what is in your shadow in order to release your old stories, your old patterns. This allows you to heal those inner fractures so you can make peace with all of the pieces of who you really are. Shadow work is this pathway toward true, real self-acceptance and wholeness. That's why they call it integration, right? And that's yoga. Yoga, the verb, stems from the Sanskrit, yuj, which means to yoke, to connect, to bring together, to bring into harmony, not to further create a sense of separateness. And that state of union that state of inner communion and connection has to happen within the self first before it can be projected and rippled outward into our relationships and into the world around us, right? We have to do the inner work first. And this is also why I will often tell the yoga teacher trainees when I'm leading 200 and 300 hour training sessions for them that you can only ever heal anybody else to the degree that which you are healed. 
So even if you yourself have been on this journey for a while, I would say take advantage this week of exploring some shadow work, either on your own or if you want more guidance and you want some support, then my online workshop, The Three Sacred Keys, is available for immediate access. You can get the replay right away and you have lifetime access to the entire two-hour workshop. So you can re-watch it or just a part of it whenever you want to practice the powerful guided meditation or reconnect to the journaling exercises or perform the release ritual when you need to clear and cleanse that stuck energy out of your auric field and therefore out of your life. A few of the workshop participants even reached out to me the next day and let me know how impactful it was for them and how they actually experienced some really profound synchronicities in their lives following the event and just generally also feeling better physically. Some energies that were burdening them and weighing them down were released. They were able to let go of even some physical discomforts through the process. So these practices are incredibly enriching and life-changing. And I say that because it has changed my life and it has changed the lives of so many of my students over the past 15 years. So if you want more info and you'd like to sign up and get access to that entire two-hour workshop, the link is, of course, in the show notes. And you can get more information on my website at www.theyogawriter.com. I thank you so much for listening. Take stock this week of what your desire systems are and how they function and how they distort your capacity to be present in the moment as you are with what you've got, right? Let gratitude interrupt your projections of placing your happiness in the future and let yourself be right here in the moment where you are. Those are some of the doorways. There are many doorways. Those are just some of them. We do this practice, all of these practices, with loads of compassion, loads of kindness and inner friendliness for yourself. And even just that can be wildly radical for so many of us who, frankly, talk to ourselves in really harsh tones. Your inner critic may be very, very cruel, like it is for me a lot of the times and for so many of my students. And so I encourage you to hold yourself with inner friendliness this week, with softness. Give yourself grace, give yourself space. I'm so glad that you listened to this audio love note and if you felt uplifted by it I would super appreciate you sharing it with a friend sharing it on social media this is just a little fledgling project that I'm doing and I would love any subscribes or ratings or reviews on any platforms that offer that get help get the word out there if you found a little bit of nourishment and benefit. 
Thank you so much. Until next week.